Good morning, my friends. I'm so glad you could be with me today as together we get into God's Word in the midst of the Unfolding the Word ministry. We're working our way verse by verse through God's Word. Now we're in the midst of a study of the book of Romans. Over the last several days, we've been looking at the opening verses in chapter 2 of the book of Romans. Today, we're going to conclude our look at that portion of the book of Romans. I'm going to read the verses to you again and set the stage for our concluding thoughts on these unfolded verses. Chapter 2 of the book of Romans, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you... The judge practiced the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We've been talking about the fact of how all people need the gospel. All stand in need of that power of God unto salvation for those who believe, which Romans 16 tells us is that gospel, the message of Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. After discussing some of the degenerating effects within mankind living in rebellion against God, chapter 2 opens by turning our attention to those who, on the scale of humanity, are relatively good, relatively moral, relatively upright, and perhaps even relatively religious. Such people have a tendency to think that because they compare themselves against other people that things are going pretty good for them that God must mark on a curve, and that they're definitely passing because they're not as bad as some of the other aspects of humanity, other men and women. But such individuals miss the point that, first of all, the greatest of the commandments, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, has been broken by them as well as by the most morally degenerate person. And that separation from God is not due to the numbers of sins we've committed, it's due to the fact of sin in our life, and breaking the greatest of the commandments makes us sinners. Matthew chapter 5, as we talked about, tells us that sin is not merely in action, it's in thoughts and attitudes and intentions of the heart. Yesterday we were looking in Genesis 3 and other places of how in the scriptures we are introduced to the reality that just one sin is enough to separate us from all holy, righteous, and just God separated Adam and Eve from the garden, it separates us. Before God, who measures in absolute terms because he is absolutely good and righteous and holy and just, before him, a person is either a sinner or not a sinner. We all need the gospel. It's not a question of relativeness. It's a question of either or. Either a person is righteous, having kept perfectly the laws of God, or they are unrighteous, having not kept the laws of God. How much they haven't kept them is not the issue. It's whether they've kept them or not. And therefore, all of us need the gospel. As James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet fails in one single point 
has become accountable for it all because in failing, you become a sinner. Well, let's go on and finish our look at these verses today. One of the facts we need to understand is God's unfolding it here in Romans chapter 2 is that only his grace has prevented even greater depravity in my life or your life. You know, God is very patient with us in terms of his accountability, as he says here, the riches of his forbearance and patience, not presuming upon it in verse 4. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promises, some counsel on us, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any would perish, but all would reach repentance. All will perish if they don't repent and believe, but he doesn't want that to happen to them, which is why he sent his son into the world. He is patient with us. But God says, don't presume upon that, because there's a place where patience stops. You can run out of time. And once you die, it's over. Then you must face accountability. So now is the time to repent in belief. This, pa this patience of God is combined with the kindness of God. What is the kindness all about here? What is he meaning, the riches of his kindness? Well, one of the things it means, I don't know all it means, but this is, also, this is what it's included in that, is that God's kindness in your life and God's kindness in my life has meant that I've not had to face and you've not had to face some of the things other people have had to face. What do I mean by that? <laughs> well, there but for the grace of God go I. Always remember that. God's kindness, undeserved in my life and undeserved in your life, has actually kept me, even if I may not realize it, from many trials and temptations, many circumstances that would have led to me making even worse choices. <laughs> What's the point of that? Well, the point of that is this, brothers and sisters. Even a relatively righteous record in this fallen world is tied as much to the situations that we've not had to face as it is to the things that we've handled properly. It's the situations that we haven't faced as much as our strength of character that accounts for our relative righteousness compared to other people. You and I, at times, are righteous simply because we weren't tested in the way some other people were tested. So always be careful in picking up the stone. You remember Jesus uh, challenging the people, don't, you know, he that was out sin, throw the first stone. <laughs> always be careful picking up the first stone. And remember, the context of these opening verses in chapter 2 is throwing the stone. You know, judging those who have fallen into the depravity that the end of chapter 1 is identifying for us. He says, be careful when you pick up the stone. <laughs> All of us have the capability of doing what everyone else has done. If you haven't, it could be as due to as much of the fact you haven't had the chance, haven't been put in the circumstance, haven't been under the same pressures as it is that you're such a great person. <laughs> Listen, God's kindness has helped us. And let's build on that even more. If I, under the kindness of God, undeserved in my life, have not had to face what some other people have faced, then I'm even more accountable, if it's possible, before a loving God who I have chosen, despite his kindness, to not love him with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. 
If anything, if I've been kept from some of the things other people have had to face, I should be loving them all the more. And brothers and sisters, that doesn't happen. He's been so gracious to us already, but we don't acknowledge it. Instead, we assume in smugness and pride that I have a better track record because I'm a better person. And God must see that, and therefore everything's going to be okay for me before God. Brothers and sisters, if you're a relatively righteous person, fall on your knees before God. Acknowledge that there but for the grace of God go you. It was God's goodness to you that gave you a better track record, not your innate goodness and self-discipline. And instead, come in humility before the God who's there. Admit your rebellious heart, which is there despite even relative righteousness, relative religiosity. Admit your rebellious heart. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Thank God for his kindness, and don't presume upon it, but build on it with repentance and faith. Because as he warns us here, our hard and impenitent heart is storing up wrath for ourselves on that day. All of us in this world, men and women, are storing up wrath. We need redemption. Our religious and moral efforts will not produce that redemption. Our religious and moral efforts will not save us. Only Christ can save us even if we are the most righteous people that are imaginable in this world. We are still sinners and separated from God when compared to the moral standard of God and the nature of his own being, which is holy, righteous, just. That's why, by the way, religion can't save anybody. And that's why religion itself is a dead end for people. Does God want us to be religious? After we come to know him, yes, he wants there to be a piousness in our life, a reverence for him. He calls us to be in fellowship with other believers. But religion in and of itself is just another form of good works for people if they are not resting in the cross. And therefore, it's as much a dead end as the most morally depraved activity would be a dead end when it comes time to face accountability before a holy God who is really there. Well, I hope verses 1 to 5 in chapter 2 make more sense to you now. Lord willing, tomorrow we'll turn our attention to verses 6 to 11, where we're introduced to the hopelessness of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant meaning people trying to earn their way to heaven by their good works. Join me then, won't you? God bless. <laughs>